this week's sermon from C3 Church Narara. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net. be to God. We are in the house of God. We worship you right now, Lord. Thank you for this time. Bless this time. We love you, Lord. We want to learn from you and become more like you. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning. I'm so excited to be here. This morning with you, my brothers and sisters in Christ. That's who you are. You are my brothers and sisters. And I love you. I love all of you. I look forward to coming to church every Sunday. Church is like a reward. And you are the church. I don't just look forward to coming to this building as amazing as it is. I look forward to seeing you. You make me happy and you are my reward. Now, everything I just said then, while true, 100% true, did not actually come from me. That's what Paul said to the Philippians. I am preaching today from Philippians chapter 4. So if you will go with me to verse 1. And listen to what he says. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. One of the things that has really stood out to me while studying the book of Philippians is just how expressive Paul is in his love for the Philippians. It's all through the letter. I mean, listen to those words. They're, they're, they're beautiful and they're very strong. I love you. I long for you. And, you know, back in you know, chapters 1 and 2, he says things like, I thank God for you. He says, you are in my heart. My brothers, my sisters, my friends. They are just beautiful words. Paul loved the Philippians and they knew it. Like reading a letter like that, you could have no doubts about how Paul felt about them. They they knew it because he told them. So that's verse 1. Now I'm going to do something a bit crazy and jump over to verse 9. Data team, if you can follow me there. I know, I know. Stick with me, guys. It's going to be okay. Listen up, this is good. Paul says, Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. So, we have to do what Paul does. And he tells people how he feels about them, he tells them that he loves them. 
He tells them what he loves about them. He speaks words of encouragement and kindness. And we have to do it. I remember years ago, I was catching up with a friend and uh, another, another woman joined us who was friends with my friend. I knew her but not very well. And this woman was telling us, so we all had little kids at the time, and she was saying how her children had been waking up really early in the morning for quite a while, you know, 5, 5.30 in the morning, and how it was really difficult for her, but that she was trying to not grumble about it and complain, but trying to stay upbeat and positive. And my friend said to her, you're such a good mum, you're doing really well. And this woman stopped and she got up from the table and she went around to the other side of the table where my friend was sitting and hugged her and just said, thank you so much for saying that. Uh, And we were both just a little bit stunned. It was just a comment. It was just a line. But it meant so much to her. Oh, my goodness. She needed to hear that on that day. And so we don't know how important and valued our words can actually be. But Paul knew it and he expressed it and the Philippians benefited from that. So we've got to do it too. Chapter 4 verse 2. We're going back. Yeah. Back, back to the structure now. Paul says, I plead with Euodia and I plead with Sintisha to agree with each other in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel. Now, this is not the first time or the second time, or even the third time in this letter that Paul mentions this concept of being united. In the same letter. Like we're going through this letter over six weeks, and so we're reading it bit by bit, but the Philippians would have received this letter and and just read it as you read a letter in one go normally. This is the fourth time he mentions he says, you know, in, in chapter 1, 27, stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel. Chapter 2, verse 2, be like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and in purpose. And now here he is saying it again. Come together in the Lord. He pleads with them. We don't agree on everything, obviously. We are very different, actually. And we're different because God made us different, yet he calls us to be as one. So it's, 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 it's interesting because God could have made us more similar than we actually are. He could have made it easier for us to come together. But he purposely chose to make us different but he still calls us to be as one in the things that matter. Not everything, 
You know, we're all different. We have different gifts, abilities, strengths, weaknesses. You know, why can some people handle being hungry better than others? I put myself in the same category of tetchiness. It's a good word. Why do some people like coriander and some normal people don't? I've got the microphone, so. (laughs) Coriander is out. It's terrible, disgusting, literally the worst thing I've ever, no. I've spoken about coriander before and I, I think I've said everything I need to say about it. We don't have to agree on those things. <laughs> but in the things that matter, in the things of God and the concepts of the Bible and the things that Jesus said and did and expects of us, we have to be of one mind. It's very important. Paul singles out these two women, Euodia and Sintisha. And he says, I, I says, he says, come on, I want you to work this out. Come together. And the rest of you, you help them. He says that. He says, you help these women who have contended at my side. He doesn't single them out to shame them or embarrass them. That's not what he's doing. He clearly knows these women. He has a relationship with them. They have fought by his side for the cause of the gospel. So he has a good relationship with them. So he's not trying to make an example of them. He is using them as an example of the body of Christ and how we work together. If there is division in the body, it has serious consequences. It is not a light, unimportant matter when there is division. If you have an injury in a part of your body, your whole body is aware of it. You can't just walk around with a broken arm and not have that not matter to the rest of you. You, you know your whole, you, you adjust your life to accommodate that. You're doing things differently. You're, you're moving differently. You're walking differently. You feel that pain and that brokenness. And it's the same for us in a body. If we separate ourselves, if we are divided, that has a ripple effect over the whole body. But when there is unity, that affects the body as well. In, in a beautiful and good way. When we worship, when we praise and worship at the start of our services every Sunday and, and then Pastor Chris gets up and, and, and prays, there is something in me that just relaxes a bit. When he gets up here, I could just feel like everything is right in the world. <laughs> Especially if, you know, you've been away on holiday or something and, and it's just so good to be back in church and, and back with your people, you know, or if the pastors have been away and they're back, I just, I love to look over to the front row and, and see them. And it's not just because Pastor Chris is a great speaker and because he's so engaging and, and, and good at communicating. And of course he is. But it's not just that. It's because he has 
answered the call on his life to be in this place at this time and to pastor this body. And his obedience blesses me. It's very significant. And I know that many of you, if not all, could say the same thing. So it is significant when there is division because the whole body feels it. Paul also wrote a letter about the body of Christ and he speaks about the different parts. You can read it in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And he says, The hand cannot say to the eye, I don't need you. It cannot. So if there is... If there is disagreement, if there is differing of opinion within us, within our body, Paul says, you need to sort that out because he understands the consequences, the ripple effects that division causes. And he says it several times, like I said. So we have to be aware of this concept. We have to sit up and listen to what he's saying here. And that's, that's all that we hear about these women. We don't, we don't know what, what the issue was. Uh, it doesn't, Paul doesn't say anything else about them. But he wants them to sort it out because it's important for the body. Moving on to... Verse 6, chapter 4, verse 6, Paul says, the famous verse, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. I love this scripture so much, such a life scripture for me. Do not be anxious about anything. So this scripture is two things to me. Number one, it's a command. It is a command. So we have to be willing to actually put away anxiety. But number two, for me, it's also permission to not be anxious about anything. For me, it's also like, oh, thank goodness, I don't have to be anxious about that issue. Because God says, don't. Okay, so I don't, I don't have to worry about that. Good. And I just love it because in, in one line, Paul completely shuts the door on the need for anxiety. It is not needed. It is not necessary. There is not one single issue in your life that is worthy of anxiety or worry or fear or concern. Not one. And that's a good thing to know. And it's hard to do away with anxiety. It's hard to let that go. Because it likes to come with us. It likes to throw up obstacles. But Paul, he's just like, nope, no. But, but, but what about, I'm concerned about my job. Nope. But I've got these bills, I don't know how I'm going to pay. Yep. But my kids, I've got this issue. But, but. Stop. Up. What else you got? And God has taught me to say about all of those things, 
kids, sickness, money, whatever. It's not my concern. You say it. Say it now. It's not my concern. Feels good. I say it a lot. Because I know, I know how anxiety feels. I know it's easy for me to say to you, just don't be anxious. Just stop. But to do that, to put that into action is very difficult. It's a challenge, I know. Because that, that anxious thought, that scary thought comes and it feels like a punch to the gut. It comes and it's like, oh, oh, you feel it. I'm scared. I'm afraid. I'm worried. It's not my concern. It's like if you were working in a company and a big company with different, different departments and there's a project going on and, and you're part of the creative team and you're getting things done and you've got ideas going and then the accountant person comes to you and says, well, where, what's, what's the money? Where are we going to, what's this? And you, you're like, well, that's not my department. That's not my concern. That's the accountant's department to work out. It's the same thing. How are you going to pay those bills? It's not my concern. I have a heavenly father who has promised to provide for me and look after me. That's not my concern. God does not ask us to do things that we can't do. So when he says, don't be anxious for anything, we can do that. God is not concerned about rising inflation. He is not concerned about the price of petrol or the cost of groceries or interest rates going up, which is excellent news because all those things are happening. <laughs> that's, just not, that's not even just the media blowing things out of proportion. Those things are actually happening. It's a, it's a tricky time financially for a lot of us. God is not nervously checking the stock market, listening to the RBA, what's he saying, what's he doing, calling the angel accountants together in heaven. What are the strategies? What are the predictions? What have we got in the funds? He's not concerned. He is God. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He's very, very calm. And like any good father, he looks after his children in times of trouble. So if you need to pray over your finances, if you need to speak to your bank balance and tell it to grow and declare the scriptures over your finances, do that. But don't worry. Don't be anxious about those things. Verse 7. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. When it comes to peace, God is the winner. He wins at peace every time. If there was a race to peace, God wins. The peace championships, he wins. 
The peace gold medal, God gets it. The peace cup, annual thing, God wins every time. He knows peace, that's his game. But we think sometimes that we know peace better than God. Going back down to verse 9, the end of that verse says, and the God of peace will be with you. So verse 7, the peace of God, verse 9, the God of peace. He's the God of peace. He knows the way to peace better than we do. But we think sometimes that we know the way better. And we think things like, if I could just get that better job, then I'll have peace. If I could just have more time in my life, then I would have more peace. Or when my children are grown up, I I think then I'll have more peace. I do think that sometimes. (laughs) But only God gives us true peace in the moment, in the season, in the busy time. Actual true peace. I remember when I was trying to get pregnant for the first time and it was taking longer than I had thought. So I think it had been about six months, and which is not a very long time to try, especially for your first one, but I had thought it was going to happen straight away. And so I was getting quite discouraged and one day I had just found out that I wasn't pregnant again and I was devastated this thing that I wanted so, so much just wasn't happening and I was very, very disappointed. And I went to God and I remember saying these exact words. I said, God, I don't actually know how I can feel better about this, but I'll give it to you anyway. I felt quite hopeless. I really did not see how I could come back from this, how I could ever feel happy. But I said, God, I'll give it to you anyway. And then I went and played netball because I had to go and play netball that night. And then when I came home later that night, I realised I felt fine. I felt good. It was a complete turnaround from how I was feeling literally two hours before. Like the burden of sadness that I felt was very intense and all I had done was give it to God with not a lot of hope and just went and played netball and endorphins are good but they're not that good (laughs) not that good I felt light I felt fine the situation had not changed but God had given me peace And he didn't explain the process of getting me to peace. He didn't say to me, it's okay because you're going to fall pregnant really soon. So don't worry now because it is coming and then you'll be okay. He didn't say that. He just gave me peace. And I did get pregnant. (laughs) Not that long after. But he gave me peace 
because he knows the way to peace. Philippians 4 verse 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. This is great. I love this. Now, Paul needs to remind us to think about good things. Why? Because it's not usually our default position. Our fallback thoughts are not usually, oh, isn't life great? Aren't things amazing? My children are just wonderful. I love my home. I love my job. We don't normally walk around thinking things like that. When we have time to think, it's normally, what needs to be done? What's happening here? Who's sorting this? Let's get this done. So he has to, he reminds us, think about such things. Because our thoughts sometimes are like wild brumbies. You know those horses who roam around in the mountains and wherever. And they are untamed and unrestrained. They're wild. And, you know, obviously they're beautiful creatures, but they can be very destructive. And our thoughts can be like that too. And Paul knows this, and that's why he says, think about the good things in your life. And since I've been reading and studying this for the last couple of weeks, I've made myself do this. And oh my goodness, church, it is so much fun. It is so much fun when you actually give yourselves permission to think about all the good things that are actually happening. It's not indulgent. It's not just a silly waste of time to think about the good things. It's not. It's good for us. And so I've just been thinking about all kinds of random things been thinking about my wedding day. It was so lovely and fun. I've been thinking about holidays that were great. We've had some great holidays. I've been thinking about my kids and all the good things that they do. <laughs> Instead of all their faults and annoyances and don't, don't, don't worry about that. You'll have to deal with that soon enough. But focus on the good things. And so I've been thinking about my, my boys playing soccer on the weekend, which I love. I love watching them play soccer. It's entertaining and hilarious and fun. I, I think about them scoring goals and the, the looks on their faces, you know, those kind of shy, proud looks. Look at what I did and, and learning new skills. My four-year-old son, Archie, my youngest, he just turned just turned four and he's learning how to dress himself now and the other day he said to me mum you know what I'm excited about I said what he said putting my shirt on (laughs) I had to keep a straight face but he was so excited about learning a new skill and so I think about that moment what he said that and it makes me feel good thinking about the good things in life is like getting to skip dinner and just go straight to dessert. 
For me, if I could do it, chocolate mousse every day, I will never get sick of it. I can't wait to get to heaven for that reason. But that's what it's like. It's just fun and it makes you feel good. So you do it. Think about whatever makes you feel good and happy. Think about your good memories and funny things that you've heard that made you laugh and good holidays that you have had and the people in your life that are fun and and are exciting or, or whatever is happening that's good. Think about sport. Sport is great. Sometimes I just relive that match in England where Australia retained the ashes. Oh, you know the one. And it makes me feel good. I love that game. It was so good. But you think about your sport. Like, think about that AFL grand final or the NRL when Manly beat Melbourne 40 to nil. I was actually there. Yep. (laughs) It was a good day. Last year, I got such a good phone call from John. He was at work and he rang me and told me that he was getting a great bonus. It was such a good day. It was a really good bonus. And we weren't expecting it either. Last year, the bonus was zero, zero dollars. And we knew that bonus time was coming up, but we had not really any expectations. And then it was such a good one. I loved that day because it was just such a fun, exciting blessing from God out of nowhere. I think about that day because it was good. It is good for us to ponder and reflect on the good things that are happening in our lives. And Paul knows this. He knows that it's good for us and so he reminds us. And make sure that just on that, that you have time to think in your world. Because to think about good things, we actually have to think. So we we do sometimes have to turn off the TV, put down the phone, shut off the work emails, whatever you need to do, think. Think about good things. So, that's our Philippians installment for this week. So remember, be expressive in your love. Do it today. The courtyard will be so much fun, guys. Think of someone who you can encourage, love, speak words of kindness. Do it. Try it. It's amazing. Be united as a body. Let's be of one mind. We are not anxious for anything. We trust in God. We have his peace. And think about the good things in your life. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you that you love and care for us so much that you wrote these words, these wonderful instructions, so that we could have the best life that we can have. You are so good. Help us, help us, help us, God. Help us today to put all of these things into practice as you have said. If we're anxious, God, we lay it down and we accept your peace. And we say, it's not my concern. Thank you, Lord, for your help in these things. We love you. We praise you. In the name of Jesus. Amen.
hope you've enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net.